and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, the podcast that explores topics related to international trade. This podcast is brought to you by Buckland. For over 70 years, Buckland has been working to help companies across the world experience global trade in a better way. As a customer-focused company, we provide you with a single source of unmatched customs brokerage, trade-managed solutions, freight forwarding, trade technologies, and warehousing and distribution services. I'm your host, Jenny Kaus, Marketing Coordinator at Buckland, and today I am speaking with our special guest, Michelle Snyder. Some of you may recognize Michelle from an earlier episode of this podcast, and we're so happy to have her with us again. Michelle is Buckland's Director of Compliance and Consulting and has been with Buckland for just over three years and has more than 20 years of experience in international trade. Michelle has a depth of knowledge in customs regulations, trade compliance, supply chain management, and international logistics. And I'm so thankful to have you with us today, Michelle. Uh, sharing some of that expertise. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Jenny. On today's podcast, Michelle and I are going to be discussing U.S. duty drawback. It's been a very interesting couple of months in the trade world, and we wanted to take the time to regroup on what constitutes a duty drawback. Today, our focus will be on the U.S. As always, we welcome you to reach out to us if you have any questions about anything related to trade, and of course, about duty drawback as well. You can always send us an email at csagroup at buckland.com. Again, CSA group at buckland.com. On today's podcast, we are going to be looking at what is duty drawback. We're going to be talking about looking for how to identify opportunities and as well about U.S. duty drawback uh, specifically and how to go about filing for that. So let's start at the beginning. Michelle, what is duty drawback? Yeah, so, so drawback is just generally a refund of duties, fees, or taxes paid upon entry of certain merchandise that's either been exported or destroyed under custom supervision in an unused state or is used to further produce a different article that is then subsequently exported or destroyed under custom supervision. Okay, that's great. Thank you for that explanation, Michelle. Mm-hmm. It seems like a great program to assist importers with uh, costs. Why is it that duty drawback is such a hot topic right now? You know, it's funny you say right now. Uh, in the U.S., drawback has been a long uh, thought-out program that's been very valuable to the trade, and it, it's been utilized by importers and exporters dating back to the Tariff Act of 1930 when it was implemented as a measure to promote exporting. Over the years, however, as tariffs have decreased in many many of the commodities to various trade initiatives, including trade agreements like NAFTA, like I talked about in my previous podcast, um, reduce those tariffs, um, sometimes rendering articles free, uh, drawbacks became less prevalent. And in part, those alternative trade measures were more appealing and administratively more realistic for, for uh, you know, companies to pursue as opposed to drawbacks. Uh, due to the complexity of the existing drawback regulations found under Title 19 um, Customs, or I'm, I'm sorry, the Code of Federal Regulations, Part 191 and 181, which you know is the NAFTA. Um, so basically, claimants decided to pursue that were still pursuing drawback. I'm sorry. Um, they found recovering duty drawback um, sometimes 
proved more effort than the return, and they would they would just not do that. But some companies still needed to to pursue it as an option because they were still paying uh, high duties. And so, you know, it's still been a, a very prevalent practice among many of the larger uh, companies out there. And as such, they've been, I'm sure these companies have been keenly aware and watching what's been going on and, and, and it, it more, more specifically what's been happening this year. And that was the implementation of uh, what's known as TEPTIA. And TEPTIA is the Trade Facilitation and Trade Enforcement Act of 2015. And what that did is for the very first time since 1930, it's actually made changes to the drawback regulations. And those changes were simply meant to, to um, you know, make the process more administratively friendly, if you will, um, and, and, and make it less burdensome and actually expand programs so that, that claimants could see a higher yield of return. So TEPIA changes in of themselves probably have been enough to cause the increased attention and drawback this year, but there is so much more causing the spike of what we're seeing this year, um, to be very, very blunt. Um, the beginning of March of this year, President Trump began, Im- began implementing uh, duties on steel and aluminum. And that's known to the trading community as uh, the 232 duty. And over the course of the past few months, duties on goods imported from China were also uh, added. And those are known as uh, the 301 duty um, throughout the trade. Now, we do have separate podcasts on those, so I'm not going to go into depth of what those are. <laughs> I bring them up. <laughs> I, I, I encourage our, our listeners to please please listen to those. Those are very valuable podcasts, and I'm sure that you're going to enjoy the information that you'll be able to ascertain from them. But I bring them up here because we have seen the impact of 301 and 232, but specifically 301 uh, relative to drawbacks, because uh, while 232 duties are not subject to duty drawbacks at this time, uh, according to the presidential proclamation, 301 duties are and so that has caused a mad dash for importers and exporters alike to recover as much of those 301 duties as possible. And just to kind of give you a little bit of uh, understanding of, of why this has just taken the, you know, the industry by storm is, as an example, we've got an importer, well, we've got many importers, but this is an example, one importer that maybe they paid a total of $5,000 in duty for an entire year. And previous years, and now due to the implementation of 301 duties, they're in excess of $5 million. So right there, you can see why this is such an appealing program for them, because there's really very little other means for them to recover those duties again. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I can see why this would be very appealing and why it seems to be such a hot topic uh, in the last little stretch in the trade community. So what should an importer know if they're thinking about this? Because I mean, if I'm an importer and I hear what you just said, I'm thinking about filing a claim for drawback. What should I know if I'm an importer and I'm thinking about doing that? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the first thing I tell importers when they call me up is um, understand understand their role first. Um, They know that they're the importer and they're paying the duties, but when I they understand your role. Are they also the exporter or who are they selling these goods to and what are they doing to them um, before they, they're selling them? And then 
RV subsequently exported. Um, so it, that, that's the key, really, where they need to start is to understand their opportunity and, again, where they are in that process. Because if they're not both the importer and the exporter, then they need to start having some conversations and, and, and um, you know, figuring out how they're going to obtain, you know, the information that they're going to need for a drawback. So just to kind of elaborate a little bit, I mean, you have your, you know, you can be the direct claimant, which is, you know, the importer and you're the exporter, or you can be the indirect where you're, you know, the, the importer of record, but you're not the exporter. So you've got to go get, you know, support and records from your exporter. And they need to either assign the right to you to be the claimant, or you need to come into some agreement and share your imports duties with them and so that they can claim. So there's, there's a lot of things that can be done here and some discussions that need to be made, but you can't really approach that until you've actually done your due diligence and looked at what your opportunities really are. And like I said, you know, that's really then understanding, you know, where your opportunities are and that would then dive into what kind of drawback is it um, that kind of gets into more complexity, but you know, there's, key types of drawback, which is your manufacturing unused and rejected. So you'd want to look at that too and make sure that you understand, um, you know, what it is that you're trying to pursue. And then that's going to tell you what, what the required information that you have for the paper trail in order for you to be successful. And then I, I'm sure we're going to talk about it a little bit more depth, but you also want to figure out when are you going to start filing? Are you going to start filing before next February? Because if you are, then you have to decide if you're going to file under what's, what's currently being called as core drawback, that's the existing drawback regulations, or will you be filing under TEPTIA? Um, so, and then finally, and I mentioned this in my earlier statement as to how many um, importers assess their programs previous to 301, is, is the potential duty to be recovered worth your investment of time and consultancies? Um, or, you know, a commission that you're going to pay out to have these claims filed. With yeah. the onset of 301, the likelihood is yes, but if you're not looking at 301, you still have that question. Yeah, for sure. You're definitely going to want to look at that. So let's go into some depth and talk specifically about the duty drawback. Which duties are eligible for this drawback? Okay. So always, it was the ordinary customs duties based on the tariff code. Um, and then the duties that are uh, for an assist on an apportioned entry. So what I mean by apportioned entry for assist, if you take the, the assist, the research and development, the tooling, cost, things like that, and you apportion that over the life of a purchase order and it's added into the piece price, you can recover that on drawback. But if you do an aggregate entry for assist, you cannot. Okay. Uh, you can also cover, recover marking duties. You can recover voluntary tenders. And you can recover 1592D duties, which are the penalties and interest if it's the voluntary sender. Caveat that. And then the IRS taxes, uh, merchandise processing fees, harbor maintenance fees. And then, like I've been speaking of, the 301 duties, which is those China imports. Right. And, and just on a very high level, the, the recovery is 99% of the duties refunded and 100% of taxes. Wow. That is more than I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are there, so we're talking about that and we're saying, you know, generally about 99% are refunded. Are there duties that are not eligible for drawback? Yes. 
that would be your anti-dumping and countervailing duties, and then your 232 duties, the, the steel and aluminum. Oh, okay, so those we can are not eligible. That's right. Okay. So who can claim drawback? So earlier I mentioned that drawbacks exist once the goods are imported and duties have been paid, and that the right to claim drawback accrues to an exporter. So if you aren't both the importer and the exporter, I mentioned before, it's time to talk because technically speaking, the right to drawback occurs to the exporter, but an importer can claim if an exporter assigns the right to drawback to them. Um, so again, you just need to figure out what that relationship is and, and if you can be the claimant. I understand that there's different types of drawback as well. I heard you mention that earlier. Could you go into that a bit? Uh, yeah. So there are actually several types of drawback which are authorized under Section 1313, Title 19, under the United States Code. Uh, but the main provisions used, and I won't get into to all of them, but the main ones are direct identification manufacturing. Um, that's not very common, but it is, it is there for um, maybe like a chemical company or I've seen it used in orange juice companies like for blending where you have lots that you can trace through and you, and you need to trace those lots through. Um, but it's less common. Um, and then you have substitution manufacturing, which is the most common way of claiming for manufacturing drawback. And that's based on uh, same kind of quality of merchandise, basically. Um, for core drawback, which is the existing, it's based on same kind of quality of merchandise on a part number or SKU level. Under Shaktiya, that's going to be based on tariff to the eight. I'll explain that a little bit more a little bit later, but just so you understand the same kind of quality. Uh, the rejected merchandise, we kind of talked about that a little bit before, but it's, it's, you know, it's a, for example, a bumper is imported and damaged. If it's imported and damaged and you don't want it, you can return it right away, and then you can file a claim on that, and that would be considered a rejected merchandise claim. Okay. It's a provision you could use. Um, and then there's the substitution unused merchandise. That's very common for the unused provisions, and that's where the goods are commercially interchangeable. And it doesn't have to be the same product, but it has to meet the same basic factors, um, which is basically government industry standards and value. Um, an interesting note on that is, you know, that exists in core and under TAPTIA, but you used to have to under core or currently under core you had to meet those requirements and, and, and make sure that you could meet those requirements when substituting on SKUs. But under the tariffs, if you can, it, it, you're going to be matching on a tariff to eight. The idea behind the simplification for Chastia was that that rule has been met, that it'll be commercially interchangeable based on the eight-digit tariff. So that was a very interesting change. And then there's the direct identification on used merchandise, and that's for the best example I can give you there, you imported a vehicle and you exported the same vehicle and you're going to use the VIN number or, or you know, a, a serial number to directly identify the import to the export. Okay, that's great. So what constitutes a U.S. drawback claim? Well, I mean, as I mentioned, um, constitutes a, a drawback claim when I'm not, you know, imported been made and, and duty paid and subsequently exported, whether it be unused or, or manufactured into a new and different article and then exported or destroyed under customs supervision. Um, perhaps what you might be actually asking is, you know, how do, how do you file for mm -hmm. a drawback claim? 
Okay. So, um, so there's, there's three ways that you can do it in today's current environment. And I say that because we're in an interim phase with TEPTIA. So we can still file under the current provisions, which I mentioned before, are current, they're referred to as core. So you'll hear me say core drawback. That's the existing drawback regulations under 191. Okay. And you can still file claims with um, Customs Border Protection uh, manually, if you choose, um, up until February 23rd of next year. Um, and the the paperwork that would be required you can find within the regulations and we can also post material on our website so you can you can see some references there and you can file those manual claims in four drawback centers and those centers are in new york the new york new york port uh chicago san francisco and houston and then the two more common um uh, ways to file for drawback are through uh, ace and you can file for through ace uh, that's the existing drawback again. Uh, so you can file your claims through ACE, and those are actually being processed right now and, and can be paid. And you can use your existing applications. If you are currently filing drawback or have an existing drawback program, you can use your existing applications and rulings, and you can continue filing through ACE uh, and have your claims processed and even have a chance of being paid uh, before next <laughs> February. Um, and then... Uh, you can still file TEPTIA drawbacks, and they will accept TEPTIA drawbacks claims through ACE, but they're not processing them for payment because, frankly, they have to wait for the regulations to be finalized uh, before they can actually complete a, a claim and pay it. So those are being accepted but not um, basically approved and, and paid. They're not processing them to do anything more than just accepting them. So uh, th those are the main um, ways that you can file a drawback claim today. That's great. Um, you mentioned Teftia. Would you be able to go into depth on that a little bit? Um, yeah, a little bit. So, so again, it, it's the Trade Facilitation and Trade Enforcement Act of 2015, and it was signed by President Obama on February 24, 2016. Uh, the legislation calls for new regulations to be finalized for implementation by February 24, 2018, and it was and it was implemented into ACE. Uh, the problem is, is that the regulations were not published on time. They were late. Uh, they've actually just recently been published for comment period, and we are in comment period. So uh, CBP has issued them effective um, August 2nd, and they are in comment period through September 17th. And then after industry has a, that you know, chance to submit all their comments, it goes back for review and, you know, more meetings. And basically the idea is to get them fully in place before next February, February 23rd, um, because one way or the other, 191 regulations, what we're calling core drawback right now, it goes away, whether there's the regulations in place or not. So this is very pressing. Uh, it's, it's definitely a main focus on and um, claimants uh, filing drawback and, and service providers such as ourselves. Uh, we're actively pushing and trying to get these in place so that we have regulations come February or next year. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I understand that there's been some pretty big changes to TEFTIA as well. 
Yeah, so I've kind of talked a lot about, you know, what the, the main changes was and, and, and it's significant. Um, and that is that they moved away from um, filing on SKU and allowing it to be matched on uh, HS code. So it's HS code to the eight digit unless, unless your HS code falls under an other, other heading, which takes it back out to a 10 to get very specific as to what uh, that good is. So in doing that change alone, it's really fundamentally changed everything else. The other main changes that have occurred from that is the calculation method. So as, as you can imagine now, if you're, you're matching on the tariff as opposed to a skew, you might have different variances and values and um, you, you've got, you know, articles that are, are, are commercially interchangeable. They do meet the same kind of quality and commercially interchangeable, but you've got a broader range potentially of where those values could fall in. So what they did now is they have figured out the calculation to be a lesser of Q. Now, this is not the same type of lesser of Q that you would see with the NASA claims for same condition under the NASA regulations for drawback, but um, this is, this is um, really pointing to looking across that universe of the, the um, imports that you're looking to designate and you're taking an average, a per unit average, and designating that across for your claim. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So those are, so those are probably the most significant. There's, there's many little idiosyncrasies going on in there, and again, I wouldn't really want to venture to talk too much detail about it until those final regs are published um, because there is, there's definitely some back and forth stuff. I would imagine. Um, so when filing a claim for drawback, what sort of documentation is required? Well, I mean, from a high level for your import documentation, it's, it's pretty much your, like your import entry packet. So um, you, you've got your entry summary, your CF uh, 7501, your commercial invoice, your packing list. But on top of that, you're also going to want to probably have on record your purchase order because remember the value, it means something. You have to have things within a, a reasonable range for how it's valued. So you want to be able to show that you know, how it was priced and that it matches that. So you've got your purchase order, your 7501, your commercial invoice, your packing list. You also want to show receipt records. So you, you, you want to evidence receipt into inventory should you be asked by customs to do so. And you also need probably proof of payment to the vendor. Um, if it's a manufacturing claim, you're going to have to produce a bill of material. Um, for core drawback, you only have to produce it if asked by customs in a desk review or, or something of that nature. For Tuftia, you're going to have to submit that with the claim. So that's another big change, actually, that you're going to actually be submitting that bill of material with the claim or the lines that you're designating from that bill of material with the claim to be more specific. Okay. And then the, yeah, and then the export documentation, you're also going to want to show the purchase order, withdrawal from inventory, bills of lading, uh, commercial invoice, packing list, proof of payment to the customer. So those are, so those are like the key criteria that you're going to need for applications if you haven't set up any yet. Um, these are the types of records that you should be keeping in the ordinary course of business. Um, you shouldn't be required, especially under Tatia, but you shouldn't be required to do anything more than you normally do in your course of business. But if you're going to be able to prove and support a claim, you should have these basic 
um, criteria in place, whether that be through electronic means or paper or both. And that's yeah, and that's uh, great advice across the board. Um, in any mm-hmm. situation, is to ensure all your paperwork is there. Um, I will also mention uh, we are going to link on our website. If you go to our website on the podcast page and you navigate to the page for this episode, which you'll see uh, the U.S. duty drawback episode, I'm going to put some helpful links in there um, that will take you to some different documents that talk about uh, TIFTIA and you'll be able to read a bit more. So please visit the Buckland website uh, for some helpful, we'll have a show notes section there where we can reference some of the things that we've been speaking about today. Um, And I, you know, kind of as we wrap this up a little bit, if, you know, someone's listening to this and they're curious about U.S. duty drawback for their business, what should they do? What can Buckland do to help? Reach out, call me. Um, ask me any questions you have. I'm, I'm very happy to answer and help any way I can. Um, yeah, call That's- us. That's great. Thank you so much. And um, I, I do welcome people to reach out to CSA group at buckland.com. So CSA group at buckland.com if you have any questions. Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about duty drawback. Thank you for having me, Jenny. It's always fun. That's the Beyond Borders podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to our guest, Michelle, for joining us and for sharing your expertise. If you're looking for resources related to international trade, please check out buckland.com and click on learning for downloadable resources ranging from Incoterms reference charts, tips for avoiding border delays, things to keep in mind when choosing a broker, and more. Also, be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter through our website to receive a roundup of the latest trade news delivered straight to your inbox. We also are offering webinars, so please visit the learning section of our website to find out more about our upcoming webinars. And always, please feel free to reach out to us through our website's contact us page through Twitter where our handle is at Buckland Tweets or on our LinkedIn company page. Thanks again for listening to the Beyond Borders podcast and be sure to tune in again and subscribe for more great conversations about importing, exporting, and everything else in the world of logistics and international trade.